there's prayer every Sunday. Okay. I, I don't think I've ever been to a service where somebody didn't at some point lead the congregation in prayer. I suspect the preparation for that would be far less than the preparation for preaching or even leading and singing. Okay. Uh, I've become convinced that that time of prayer uh, is, is really important. Um, first of all, um, God has designated in his word that, that there be leaders, right? And those are shepherds. They guard, they teach, they preach, and they pray. And there's lots of examples of that. So I think it's a, it's a maximum opportunity to glorify God and unify the congregation uh, in coming together to pray. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 186. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is that of Pat Quinn. Pat is the Director of Counseling Ministries at University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan, where he also serves as an elder and Bible teacher. The conversation that I had with him has to do with you know, personal study and public proclamation of God's word. But about at the halfway point, we really shift into talking about public praying. Now, of course, we know that Jesus encourages us to pray in private, but yet he also modeled for us, and we're also called to pray in public from time to time, to model and guide and lead in prayer in our Sunday morning services, in your women's Bible study, in the gathering that you get to teach the Bible at. And so Pat Quinn helps me and helps us to think through about potentially planning out some of the ingredients of the prayers that we're going to offer in public. Many of us don't come from traditions that encourage pre-thought-out prayers. We value spontaneity, but I think Pat Quinn is really going to get you thinking and guide you towards uh, more thoughtful, more helpful prayers in public. I very briefly want to alert you that we're coming close to our Colorado training weekend. It's taking place September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs, Colorado. There's going to be a parallel online track And so you could find out the details about registration at expositorscollective.com. I hope to see you there in person or online. Okay, here is my really encouraging and thought-provoking conversation with Pat Quinn about praying in public. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I'm here with Pat Quinn. Uh, Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Mike? I'm very honored to be here. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm doing good. I'm just back from from holiday, so this is one of my first like things that I've done. Yeah. So it's been nice did, to. Did you have a, a good refreshing time? Like seriously, the best one I've ever had in my life. It was it was really great. great. What'd you guys do? Uh, we. Uh, wh- you're a very good interviewer, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah, my, my family, we last summer, we rented this house by the beach in a, a town called Glendore. And we had such a great time. 
And we actually just booked it again and went back to the same place that we were at previously. I've always thought it was kind of cool when families have the same vacation spot they go to over and over again. And as of now, we are that family. And it was it was incredible. Well, I'm glad you're refreshed. Well, yes, and I've been I've had all this pent up podcasting energy that I can't <laughs> wait to to expel. So, Pat, what was your first sermon that you ever preached? Let's just get straight into there. How did it go, and where was it? Sure. Well, I came to uh, I came to East Lansing uh, in about 1973 as a kind of a hippie musician. Uh, college dropout. Uh, and I really came here from Chicago just to go to this church. Really? Uh, and wow. that's a whole story in itself. So I would say my first sermon, my our pastor um, had a real vision for training up young men and, and even pretty green people like me. And so I would say it was probably around 1975. It was a okay. long time okay. ago. Okay. Um, that's two buildings ago for us. <laughs> and we were in the alumni chapel at Michigan State, which was uh, a very strange place. But anyway, uh, I think I preached on Psalm 145. Okay. You know, the, the, the greatness of God, his greatness is unsearchable, beautiful psalm of praise. I, I don't remember much about it, but I expect that it went on pretty long. Because, yeah. you know, young preachers tend to either preach really short or really long. Right. Um, I remember being nervous. I was used to being in front of people as a musician, but obviously this was very different. Uh, I expect that I, I got good feedback just because <laughs> I, I go to a very kind congregation. Um, and I, I expect that I felt very honored and privileged and probably a little bit glad it was done just because it was it was kind of daunting but i've had lots of opportunities to preach uh in the in the intervening years and uh, i really love to preach but i am pretty sure psalm 145 was my first okay and uh so was that like a sunday morning or was yeah, it another yeah. yeah it was a sunday morning it was a sunday morning the real deal did you um, did you volunteer or were you asked? How did it how did it come about? I know that it was quite a while ago. So yeah, I'm pretty sure our pastor, who was at the founding pastor of the church, uh, probably asked me to. I I don't think I would have volunteered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Well, that's that's and how how exciting that it, it that your first sermon was at the church that you still are at today. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a it's been a it's been almost fifty years since I've been here. And it's been just a wonderful experience overall. Uh, yeah, that's that, again, that's a whole nother interview, a whole nother conversation about 50 years commitment at the same church. Um, that's that's a wonderful, a wonderful privilege. It is. And and also, too, I've I've done a lot of these interviews. I think we're you might be number 186, I think. Wow. And uh, I think there's only one other person that I think has done the same that you have, that their first sermon was at the church that they currently are at uh, decades later. So it's a, it's a rare thing. It is. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned feedback and that actually reminded me of something that I read in the, like the introduction or the forewords uh, to, to your book, uh, yeah. Praying in Public, which we'll talk about more uh, later on. But I just can't help my, help myself. Whenever I read a book, I, I read the dedications. I read the forewords. I read the I, footnotes. I'm just like you. Yeah, it's too. it's a curse. It really is. But every once in a while, um, there's there's some gems in there because um, somebody who wrote one of like the the the, the forewords to the book um, was someone named Noel Jesse Heikinen. I might be pronouncing the name um, incorrectly. No, you're um, right. He speaks about uh, that you 
um, kind of pulled him aside um, after he gave like a, a chapel message and you gave him, quote, gentle and pastoral corrections uh, about his his sermons. So it seems that you can dish out feedback um, pretty well. <laughs> well, ironically, I need to tell you, I don't remember that incident at all. That's I remember... I remember Noel coming to our church several times. He was a, sometimes a retreat speaker, sometimes a chapel speaker. Um, and it's not that I can't imagine myself doing that, but I don't have any recollection of that. So okay. oh. it was funny. Well, obviously it was memorable to, to it him. It was, it was. So could you speak to us for a few minutes about like the role of, of feedback um, in the life of a preacher? Let's say if you have thoughts on either of these, the, the role of the preacher receiving feedback and then maybe conversely the role of like the congregation or even, you know, you as a, a church leader giving feedback to other preachers. Yeah. Well, I think feedback is, is really important because otherwise we just, we can kind of live inside our own little bubble and think things are a certain way and not really realize how we're coming across. Um, I, as I thought about this, my, my first reaction was, don't give any extended feedback to the preacher right after the service. Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> um, I think a brief word of encouragement is always welcome. Um, you know, uh, I felt like the Lord really spoke to me. I saw this about the Lord. I really love that illustration, whatever. But as a worship leader, not so much as a, as a preacher, I remember sometimes a well-meaning older saint would come up to me right after a service and have several little, what I considered kind of picky little things. And it was just kind of a downer. So uh, I would say keep keep feedback af- right after the service, brief and encouraging. And then later on, you know, whether it's through an email or a phone call or in person, I think feedback is is really helpful. And I thought, you know, I like the way Jesus gave feedback to the seven churches in in Revelation. He always started out with with positive things. So I think that's always wise, you know, specific positive things um, that are encouraging. And then in the middle, I think there's there's an opportunity to share. I I think this could have been better. This was confusing. Um, I think hopefully it's not going to usually be. I think that was rank heresy, hmm, um, right. but but uh, again, humbly share suggestions, corrections, and I think sometimes doing it like, you know, I I, I thought what I heard you said was such and such. Did I hear you correctly? Hmm. Um, boy, that makes me think of this. Uh, can you help me understand where you're coming from? Or you know, I, I, I have a different take on that passage, or it made me think of this other passage. I think doing it humbly, not, not wimpily, but a little tentatively, like I might've misunderstood you, or, you know, you can't say everything in one sermon. So help me understand that. And then I think, you know, if, if, if there's a good relationship there, a suggestion or, hmm, uh, I'm not sure that's exactly what the passage is saying, whatever. Uh, and then I think ending with more positive, you know, about the person's ministry in general or even about the service or the sermon. So I like Jesus' three-part thing. Start with positive, share concerns, issues, end with positive. Oh, wow. 
Well, I was involved in like theater when I was younger yeah. and they, they're big on, on feedback and they talk about the critique sandwich, uh, yes. you know, with the, yeah. yeah. And the way that you put it, modeling it after Christ's seven letters to the seven churches is a lot holier sounding than the critique <laughs> sandwich. So I, well, they, I, I like they just that. They just didn't realize they were borrowing from Jesus, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Everything good probably, you know, originated with the Lord. So. But yeah. I think that makes sense. And I think people can hear that. Uh, again, I think I don't preach regularly. My son is a pastor. And I think there's the the dreaded Monday morning emails sometimes that pastors get, which are, are not real gentle sometimes and not very thoughtful or sensitive and are just just discouraging. So I I, I don't like that. Right, right. Yeah, a couple, two weeks ago, I think, I, I um, was preaching about Mary Magdalene, and I just used the term uh, sex worker uh, instead of prostitute, because I thought that's the best, that's, the, you know, that's a, a good way to do it. And then somebody who actually had spent time, you know, working in, in um, like kind of a recovery ministry, kind of pulled me aside afterwards, with all of that, with, with like the knowing that I had the best intentions and that I was trying to use, you know, a phrase in a way that kind of gives dignity uh, to people that are kind of trapped in that um, predatory and terrible trade. Um, But she kind of explained that actually that, that term is actually not the best to use in a, in a Christian service uh, because that implies that it merely is a transaction of good and that it's better to use women who are involved in prostitution. Because I, I don't okay. like the idea of calling someone a prostitute um, because that's like identifying them by what they do. Um, but she says, yeah, sex worker is kind of the, it's like even worse than using the term prostitution. It's better to use women involved in prostitution. Very small um, correction, but I, I took it so gladly. And absolutely, just trying, I, I was trying to update my terminology to be the most honoring to people, but then being told, actually, Mike, totally wrong. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it sounds like she handled it well, and it mm-hmm. was well-received. And I, I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, so that was certainly not a dreaded Monday morning email. No, um, no. Like, that's that's just somebody who says, listen, Mike, I know your heart. I know that you're trying to do this. You're you're obviously making an effort. Let me just try to help you understand a bit more. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not so hard to take. Yeah, bring it on. More, more of those, please. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I remember our, our former pastor, Kevin DeYoung, um, good friends with CJ Mahaney and, and CJ preached at our church one time. And, and CJ was really like, you know, soliciting, you know, Kevin, what did you think of that sermon? And, you know, is there anything you think I could do better? And Hmm. I really appreciated that attitude of like asking for feedback, even negative feedback, because I want to do this better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think, yeah. Okay. So, so you talk about like getting better, and here, I want to maybe come back to the, that sermon from 50 years ago. And <laughs> I know that you have like gotten better since then. I'm going to assume that you've gotten better since then. Sure, sure. Are, are there any like like moments of growth or significant ways of understanding, let's say, the act of preaching or even pastoral ministry that have that have impacted or helped you grow as a teacher or preacher? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I should tell you that... Um, so music was my first ministry, okay. both, both performing and then wor- leading worship. But a main ministry of my adult life was being a high school Bible teacher for uh-huh. 30 years. Uh-huh. And that was invaluable 
not not directly to preaching because it's a it's a different dynamic, mm. but communicating the word. Um, so I think one thing I learned there just kind of over the years was, boy, high school students have great baloney detectors. So you want to be real. You want to be genuine. They want to know that you really believe what you're talking about. They want to know that you really care about them mm. uh, and that you're on their side and you're really interested in, in hearing what they think. So I think that that experience for 30 years of really really teaching young people the word with a desire that it would be transformative in their life and really learning to love those kids. I mean, I think that, that, that certainly moves over into the realm of preaching too. People want to know that you are excited about the word, um, that you love them, that this isn't just, uh, uh, somebody in authority guilt tripping everybody. Sure. So that so that's one thing. I would say in the last twenty years, two people that have helped me, um, again in a general way, are John Piper and the late David Paulison. Um, John Piper kind of re reconnected, reoriented my worldview. I had been sort of all over the kingdom. Um, kind of solid evangelical. I went through a, a, a time when I was really into charismatic things. John Piper helped me to bring that all back together in a very God-centered way. Mm. And so learning the God-centeredness of God and how quickly we default from that and make everything about our own felt needs and God is there as my coach or my therapist or or wow. whatever, uh, John Piper has been really, really helpful there. And I think that I paid tribute to him in the book. And David Paulison showed me the, um, the breadth of relevance of the word and the gospel. So I think um, what, what I've learned in other arenas that has affected my preaching is love for God, love for people, gospel centeredness that that it's it's the life death resurrection of jesus that ultimately changes everything christ is precious and he does change everything and then the the bible while it's not directly about every modern problem gives you eyes to see every modern problem and there is great relevance and so my my teaching ministry, my music ministry of, you know, leading in worship and my counseling ministry have all deeply affected my preaching. I've, re I've, I've really never had much direct instruction about preaching. I was just going to, I was just going to say, so when you say that, you know, Piper and Paulison really helped you, was that from scheduling one-on-one -on -one coaching appointments through them or is it and i'm going to assume this is the case from just learning and benefiting from their their worldview and their their instructions i have met both of them okay. um but it it's much more through reading and listening to them especially listening to john piper preach yeah um and learning i'm you know i've taken several classes at ccf and David Paulson has just been a huge, huge, huge. I, I just reread one of his books because it's so helpful. So more indirect right, right. mentoring, but those things have, I think, gradually changed my heart 
and made me more excited about this is the living word of the living God. This is truth. This is beautiful. This is life transforming. Um, I, 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 I think that's really impacted the way I preach. So, yeah, well, I mean, you preach good. <laughs> I, I, I listened to your, yeah, your, your one from uh first Peter five ten, And, um, I always try to make sure that I'm, I'm aware of the preaching styles of each, of each guest on the, on the show to make sure you're actually worth interviewing. <laughs> and <laughs> it was, it was like such a, like a tight, I don't, was that a pretty recent one that was towards the top of the links on the website, the church websites. You know, when I typed I, in your name. That's what came up first. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to remember when I preached. I love that passage. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that it was one of like, you're, you're kind of every couple of days, you're kind of quoting it to somebody. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just not remembering how long ago I preached it. Well, now so. this is a silly question, but you know, Pat, are they all that good? <laughs> or was that just <laughs> particularly like, in, and, or like it was incredibly dialed in, you know, very, very structured. I could, you know, I could, I could definitely like see your notes in front of me, um, that there was, you know, like definite like headings and subheadings and support built for every single point. Um, yeah, is that it's kind of, it's kind of the way my mind works really? Yeah. Well, like it's, it's very, very structured in a way that was useful. I preach from a pretty detailed outline, Okay, but I usually have plenty of lead time so that I can practice it so that I don't want to sound like I'm reading even a detailed outline. I want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the heart to these people, but I like to know where I'm going. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, this is not, I didn't send you this question in advance. So, um, so you got to think on your feet for this one, but yeah, a lot of the people that listen to this, you know, podcast are, are regular preachers like myself, right. like, you know, we preach most Sundays and, um, but there also is a large chunk of occasional preachers, uh, people that preach when they're asked to or when they get the opportunity. And, um, and, and a question that I often ask the, the regular preachers that I interview is like, you know, what's your weekly rhythm? And for those that preach Sunday after Sunday, it's easy to develop kind of a rhythm. I, I guess, do you have any thoughts or advice for those that would preach, you know, six times a year? And um, what, what's the best way to, to make use of a, an elongated period of time? And should they just start the week before, you know, should they have seven days or should they? Yeah, I guess. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, you know, most preachers preach on a seven day rhythm. I probably preach on a, if I know ahead, which I usually do, it's probably a 14 day. Okay. So two weeks ahead, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking and pouring over the passage. I'm, you know, consulting other references and so on. And I'm sort of what I would say framing in the sermon. Okay. So probably that week I'm, I'm getting it down on paper. Um, and then the next week um, I'm tweaking it because I'm, I'm reading it over. Uh, I go up to our chapel and I practice saying it. And I, and as I do that, I'm thinking, Oh, you know what? That's, I, I don't really need to say that. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's superfluous or, Ooh, here's something I thought of. Um, and so I'm tweaking it and practicing it. So for me, a two-week um, time is just perfect. It gives me enough time to really craft it, but enough time to really go over it, uh, practice it, change it, 
And then by the time it's Sunday morning or Sunday evening, I feel like I can kind of glance at my notes and pretty much know what I'm saying. So, okay. Well, yeah. Thank you for that. I wanted to yeah take advantage of an occasional preacher uh, yeah, to, yeah. to encourage the, the occasional preachers who listen to it. Yeah. I, uh, I like to think of myself at URC as I'm the third string quarterback. <laughs> I don't understand sports, so I'm not, I'm just going to politely nod. Well, that. <laughs> the, the first string quarterbacks playing every week, the okay. second string quarterback the, the third string quarter I, it means that at least for sunday morning preaching there's going to be probably two people ahead of me so if they're both on vacation or whatever i'm going to get the nod so i do get to preach on sunday morning and i probably preach six to ten times a year okay so. all right well hey so now for, for like the second half of of this conversation i i'd love to shift to to your book that just came out um great pr- praying in public is that is that yeah, the pr- yeah. that's so, that is the title so um yeah I, I have a i have a, a kindle version of it so i don't i can't reference it so quickly um but so yeah, it's uh I, I really enjoyed it I, I read it on vacation and um you kind of make a case that for the public prayers of of a of a church gathering on sunday morning that it should be like prepared or or thoughtful could you maybe explain us a little bit about that yeah, there's prayer every Sunday. Okay, I, I don't think I've ever been to a service where somebody didn't at some point lead the congregation in prayer. I suspect the preparation for that would be far less than the preparation for preaching or even leading and singing. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I've become convinced that that time of prayer uh, is is really important. Um, First of all, um, God has designated in his word that, that there be leaders, right? And those are shepherds. They guard, they teach, they preach, and they pray. And there's lots of examples of that. Um, so I think it's a, it's a maximum opportunity to glorify God and unify the congregation uh, in coming together to pray. We also have promises about you know, when God's people agree in prayer. So you want people engaged in that prayer. You want people unified in that prayer. You want people feeling like we're being led into the presence of God uh, to worship him, to confess our sins, and to ask for what we need. I think we're also, and other pastors have said this, we're also indirectly teaching people how to pray. And um, again, I don't want to be dismissive, but there's there's the, the temptation in traditions where things are more spontaneous and we're emphasizing freedom over form. The, the temptation or the downside of that is uh, things can kind of ramble, they can kind of meander, um, they can get repetitious, certain words are repeated, you know, just out of nervousness, um, yeah, just, um, Sometimes, Father God, people people say the name of God in every other sentence, or they're just repeating themes that they've already prayed. It's almost like um, even mature people sometimes can, it's like if I start praying, uh, I'll end up somewhere, huh. okay? Huh. And I'm thinking, I think we can do better than that. I think we want to know 
first of all, I think we want to make sure that prayer is balanced, that there's adoration, that there's confession, that there's uh, supplication, and that we're not just praying. If we're just praying off the cuff, uh, it, it it might be it might be a perfectly fine prayer, but I suspect prayers are going to sound pretty similar from week to week. I think the same thing is true about people who haven't maybe had a lot of theological background. You might you might pray good sermons, but there you might not be praying or preaching the whole counsel of God. Um, so I think preparation, thoughtfulness, whether you pray what I call scripted prayer, which is kind of praying scripture, praying a prayer or praying a passage of scripture, or whether it's more developed, which is what I tend to do. I think some thoughtful, some thinking beforehand um, to make sure I'm covering adoration, confession, supplication, and I'm praying beyond just the felt needs of myself and our congregation in some kind of systematic way. We're praying for the community, praying for our nation, praying for the gospel to be spread, praying for persecuted brothers and sisters. I think the more public and sort of formal it is, the more incumbent it is on us to, to have thought about it and done some kind of preparation. Okay, yeah. So that last sentence, so, so the more public it is, you think that there should be the more more preparation for it. So just to clarify, you aren't saying that when a husband and wife pray together at the end of the day, that needs to be a, a scripted liturgy. I think that would be kind of weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I was I was thinking when people come to a Bible study and, and they know they're going to end with her, people don't come with a little like, here's my prayer. Right? Sure. I'm, yeah. It's written out. No, of course not. And I certainly believe there are times in a service or types of public services where prayer can be very spontaneous. Okay. 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 So it might be a, it might be like a every once a month at our church in our Sunday evening service. We have uh, it's it's a prayer service. And part of that might be just soliciting requests. Mm -hmm. And then the pastor or whoever's leading will say, you know, Sally, will you pray for that? John, will you pray for that? Those are all spontaneous prayers. Um, And I think that's very appropriate. And Mike, I think that the more someone is used to thinking and, you know, being a mature sort of practice prayer, um, they might not need as much preparation. You know, I, I heard a story about Sinclair Ferguson one time uh, at a conference and someone saw him in the restroom and Sinclair Ferguson was like just writing down a few notes on a scrap of paper. And the person said, is that your conference talk? And Sinclair Ferguson said, Shh. <laughs> now Sinclair Ferguson can get away with writing down a few notes and giving that as a conference talk. Okay. Most of us mere mortals can't. Absolutely. And I think the same thing is true about prayer. Some people are so immersed in scripture. They're such personal prayers themselves um, that they can get up and sound. I mean, it's eloquent. It's God centered. It's powerful. Um, I think that's where we all want to be. I'm just saying, most of us aren't quite there yet, and I think our praying or leading in prayer deserves some attention, just like we would prepare to preach or lead in singing. Yeah, and, and excellent. And you 
as a musician, you know what it's like to practice and to plan. And then even as an occasional preacher, you said that you put ideally 14 days uh, in into a message. And what an interesting contrast that, that prayer, I'll just say, you know, in my tradition, um, prayer is uh, spontaneous. Uh, prayer just happens. Uh, the, the, the preacher is, you know, opening prayer, closing prayer. And, and that's, and that's it. Uh, I think, I don't know, I, I kind of was, was thinking, I guess, you know, um, there's an assumption maybe in my circles or my heritage of like spontaneous is heartfelt and planned is, you know, you use the word scripted in a positive way, but many people would use the word scripted in a negative way, that it's simply the proper, the proper way that you ought to say something. So can you maybe convince us like low church evangelicals, us, um, us, uh, us Calvary Chapelites, that maybe it's worthwhile to to even to even read a prayer or to to um, to write out bullet points for a prayer in advance. Yeah, um, I would be happy to do that. First of all, I would point to I would point to two things and three things in Scripture. Number one, when Jesus' disciples asked him, they were impressed with his prayer life. They said, "Jesus, teach us to pray, just mm. like John John did." What does Jesus do? He gives them a prepared prayer. <laughs> pray like this. Mm. And of course, that Lord's Prayer was written down and it's been prayed probably every day for the last 2000 years, right? Yeah. Sometimes we just say it as is. Sure. And sometimes we use it as a template. Okay, we want to start with worshiping God and we want to talk about our, our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We want to confess our sins. We want to um, pray for spiritual protection. So Jesus' prayer is, is a model. The second thing I would point to, Mike, is the book of Psalms. Hmm. Um, 150 prayers of all kinds. And those were, in some cases, meticulously planned. Okay. I mentioned Psalm 111 in my book. There's 10 verses, there's 22 lines. Every line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's meticulous planning. But no one's going to say the Psalms are not heartfelt. David's poor, and you know, Psalm one eleven starts out, "Praise the Lord." I mean, it's, it's, it's excited. It's, it's totally. So I, I think we do create a false dichotomy between preparation, yeah. and heartfeltness. Yeah, you can you can read a prayer like from the Valley of Vision or a Psalm with great passion. If you have made it your own, if you have meditated on it, if your heart is, is if, if, if you see that passage of scripture as treasure that I want to bring to the congregation, you can also pray spontaneously pretty flat or, like I said, meandering, kind of aimlessly wandering through the woods, whatever. I don't think that the the preparation or the spontaneity is really the key. I think the key is, is, is what I'm praying. Is it scriptural? Mm -hmm. Is it God centered? Is it gospel saturated? And is my mind engaged and is my heart inflamed? So the Lord's prayer, church, uh, the Psalms, Paul's prayer, prayers in Ephesians and Colossians, now, those might have been spontaneously dictated, but they were meant to be, they were written down and meant to be read yeah. during the service. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and those prayers are just models of 
all the things I talk about, Trinitarian, gospel-centered, balanced, um, heartfelt, passionate. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and then I would look at um, church history, the Protestant tradition. Um, as you look at church history, Luther, Zwingli, Martin Bootser, Calvin, Cranmer and the Anglicans, John Knox and the Scottish Presbyterians, Baxter, Wesley, and the Methodists, all of them had liturgies. And I'm not saying our liturgy is very basic. We have a time of praise. We have a time of renewal. We have the proclamation of the word, and then we have response. That That's as structured as a, and within there, there's many things you can do. Right. But in the history of the Protestant church, all of them had written prayers. And nobody's going to accuse John Knox of not being heartfelt. Mm. He was mm. so frightening that Mary, Queen of Scots, you know, trembled at, at the mention of his name. Um, a book like Valley of Vision, which is uh, a book of Puritan prayers, which became very popular, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I was just reading the introduction of that again yesterday. And many of those prayers were composed out of personal devotion and then written down and and given to the churches or given to people. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, I, I think the, 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 the issue is not spontaneous versus prepared so much as is my heart engaged? Is this, is this precious to me? And even in my book, you know, I, I, you mentioned bullet points. It can be fairly loosely prepared. You know, both of my previous, well, my, my present pastor, my previous pastor, they would go up there with a piece of paper with just bullet points. These are just some things I want to, want to pray about. And then from there, it was, it was very spontaneous, but they were very biblically literate. They right. were very comfortable speaking in front of people, and it didn't. It 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 sounded, it sounded great. Yeah, I tend to write them out, but then practice them in such a way that that I can pause or I can I can extemporize here. Um, I can change my inflection, so I don't want it to sound like I'm I'm reading a prayer. Right. So, right. I think we have a lot of resources. And we, I talked about, I talk about classical versus jazz. Um, both are fine forms of music. <clears throat> Why not become proficient at both? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you very much. Obviously, this is this is important to you. I'm I'm a big fan of the Valley of Vision. I have I have given away so many copies of of that book um, because it's been so good so good to me, and. Not not every Sunday. I would say probably not even once a month. But I I would somewhat regularly, you know, read a selection from the Valley of Vision, uh, either either as a prayer, like at the end of the sermon, or or even sometimes just quote it in the middle of the sermon. And oftentimes, I, I actually I could say nearly hundred percent of the time, whenever I um, quote any part of that book, someone comes up to me afterwards to say what was that called again? Where, where could I get it? And I've actually just kind of made a habit of just like bringing a copy along. Um, so when that person asks me, whoever they are, I can just hand it to them straight away. See, now it can be this book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pray or, in Public by Pat Quinn. Public by yeah, 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 there, there you go. There you go. I, I, I'm teasing. Yes. In, in my experience, um, and again, I mentioned this in the book, is that 
it was not unusual. And I know it wasn't just me, but it was not, it's not unusual in our church um, for someone to come up after the service and say, do you have a copy of that prayer uh-huh. that you yeah, led us yeah, in? Yeah. And that was one of the impetuses for thinking about maybe a book on public prayer would be helpful to the church. Okay. So, so, so Pat, here's, here's a thought. Um, so having, having read your book and, uh, and actually, I mentioned earlier on it was a Kindle version that that I read, but I, I kind of made a thought, made a note to myself, like this is the sort of book that I actually would really prefer not Kindle, but to have like a, a printed copy because the first the first seven chapters they're they're little kind of essays about the importance of thoughtful or scripted or prepared prayers. But then the the whole second half of it is examples of prayers. And it'd be a really valuable thing to be able to to open up and to flip through and to to be inspired in more of kind of a, I don't know, kind of a meandering journey through rather than with Kindle, how it's just like, you know, click, 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 click from one to the next. Uh, But yeah, so as I was kind of reading it and thinking about it, I... I guess I had this epiphany, let's say, ugh, maybe 20 years ago, uh, 16, 17 years ago at least. And and that realization was, um, it's okay to not like whatever worship song gets sung. <laughs> that it's not a sign of like lack of spirituality to, to, to read this lyrics of a worship song and think, that's eh, not that great, is it? Um, and I, I kind of came before, I had that realization that this isn't scripture. You know, these are songs written by people and they can have strengths and weaknesses and it's okay to like lean more towards one expression of praise and worship than, than the other. And, um, I thought that was a, a worthwhile thing that's, you know, coincided with me discovering hymns and how great they are and kind of seeing some of the, the vapidness of some of the songs that, uh, I would have sang in youth group, heartfelt, heartfelt songs, but like a little, oh, yeah. a little vapid. Yeah. And so that kind of realization was like, oh, this is great. But then it also turned me into a little bit of a jerk uh, for about a year or so, um, criticizing uh, the songs that, that were being sung. And um, I guess I, I'm telling that story uh, to say, like, what's to keep somebody from reading your book and then turning them into, like, a, a prayer critic? Uh, how How can we keep ourselves for, I guess, being able to give feedback possibly, but then also just turning into like the, the back, back row arms folded critic of everyone else's prayers. It's very, very perceptive. Um, I wrote down, this is always a danger (laughs) whenever there's some kind of instruction and um, giftedness and training involved. That is always a danger. And for me, it's it it probably it happens sometimes you know listening to a sermon for me having been a worship leader for decades that's where I find myself often being the critic. Now our worship leader is wonderful. He's a gifted musician and he chooses very biblical songs. So it's not that kind of. For me, it's more like, oh, that's not the right tempo. Didn't, didn't you listen, didn't you listen to the original recording, you know, or I don't, you know, I'm not not sure I like that arrangement. Um, Now, one of the things, well, so I think there's always a danger uh, and that could be true about prayer too. So what's, what's the cure for that? Um, (laughs) Somebody once said, what are the three cardinal Christian virtues? And they said, humility, 
humility and humility. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think there's a valid critique if the prayers are distracting or, you know, just not helpful. Yeah. Um, but when we come to church, we're willing to be led by someone else. And I think having a, a humble attitude, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important. I have to, I have to wrestle with that, you know, as I, as I come to church sometimes, because, because I've had experience there, there's a danger of, you know, that, that, that criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, but I don't think that the cure is don't try to up the game at all. You know, we, 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 that wouldn't be true with preaching. You know, we don't just say, well, whatever. Um, I think it's humility. And, and again, like we talked about earlier, if there's something to be said, there's a way of doing that in a gentle, constructive way. Got it. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, it's revelation mature. two and three critique sandwich that Jesus yeah, invented the, the, the critique, critique sandwich. Sand. That's right. So humility, wisdom, gentleness, uh, appropriate timing. I think those are, those are important. And again, um, there's, there's times when we, we're, we just bear with one another, you know, like that, maybe that sermon wasn't, it wasn't a 10, it wasn't a home run or something, but you know what? He started it with scripture. So there's something there for me to, there's something for me to glean. So I, I guess I'm acknowledging that being a prayer critic or a sermon critic or a music, that's always a danger. And I think that's more a matter of character and, and humility and wisdom. Um, then uh, I don't have any techniques to not be a music critic. Sure. And it seems like you mentioned, yeah, sermon critic, worship critic, and then prayer critic. It, it seems like it's, um, you know, like it's a funnel getting narrower and narrower, you know, maybe in, in my mind, I'm, I'm not a worship leader, you know, but like critiquing someone's uh, musical worship on the one hand, for the most part, they didn't write those songs, you know, so that maybe feels the, the least personal maybe, and maybe as a, as a worship leader, you could, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but then sermon feels a little bit more personal. Uh, because, you know, I, I wrote this myself. I studied this. I, I'm telling stories about my life or I'm trying to, to pastor these people. But then it's like a prayer. That seems like the most personal of all. And then to have a Monday morning email uh, saying, you said, um, 12 times in the prayer, you, you referenced Father God six and a half times, you know, um, and I'm, I'm still even trying to, to figure out if it's ever appropriate to critique somebody's prayer or if it's just that you want to set a better example when you get a chance? Well, I think there, if, if someone's, you know, hemming and hawing and doing things that they really do kind of sound of jarring or, or distracting, I think it is uh, legitimate to take that person aside, put your arm around them. You know, again, I could tell your, you know, your heart's in this. Love the Lord. There was a lot of devotion. There's a lot of affection. That's all beautiful. Let me just point out one or two things that that might be distracting. And and here's, you know, I think if you take a little bit more time the night before, the day before, to to just think through what you're going to say, maybe even jot down a few bullet points or whatever. I think you'll eliminate that. And so I think it can be a positive growing thing rather than a, oh my goodness, that was, 
I was shouting, land the plane the whole time, you know, right, or whatever. Right. So. Okay, well, 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 thanks for that. Um, I, I realize, yeah, it's a hard thing to, to talk about, um, but you're giving us some good kind of prompts and ways that we can hopefully just, yeah, increase increase the the, the benefit to all who would attend our yeah, Sunday gatherings or, or even Bible studies. Um, maybe, maybe as the final, final question, uh, I guess, yeah, in, in, in my tradition, a lot of times the people who pray would be the preacher before and after their sermon and then the worship leader before and after their, their songs. Sure. Do you think it's worthwhile to, to add a, a role or to add a, a prayer to the Sunday morning or to the worship service? Uh, you know, we do. We we have someone designated, uh, and it's on the it's on the worship calendar that somebody's going to do the congregational prayer. Okay. 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 Now, in our in our services, again, we have a praise time or re- renewal time uh, proclamation response. So there's, and I make the case, and this is our our practice as well that. Uh, I, I think every service should have a time of someone, someone leading in adoration, someone leading in confession. That's mm-hmm. probably the most neglected part, and and supplication. Those can be combined. We, we used to do them all in one prayer. Now, adorate. There's usually a prayer of adoration led by the worship leader. There's uh, a confession is also usually led by him, and then there's a congregational prayer, um, which probably combine some some praise adoration and supplication okay mm-hmm. so those can be combined or mixed and matched in different way so somebody is going to do what is in our bulletin called the congregational prayer could be called the public prayer the corporate prayer the pastoral prayer it used to be called the long prayer in the puritans and it was <laughs> really it was like a half hour or something um so yes uh, and that's usually uh, a pastor or a staff person or an elder. Okay. All right. So many of the people listening to this podcast would be preachers or or pastors. Um, so maybe would your advice to them be either, hey, you can get better at public prayer, or then also this could be a great chance to recruit somebody else, to, to bring somebody else up to, to pray in this way. Absolutely. I would say both of those. Yeah, certainly anybody who's regularly, you know, pastor, worship yeah. leader, certainly they, I think they want to get better at, I mean, I think this is an important opportunity. We're, we're leading, we're going into the presence of God. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like the prayer of Nehemiah or the Levites or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so I think those people want to get better and that's what the book's about, but yes, it's an opportunity. If there are, if there are interns in the church, elders, elders are, meant to be spiritual leaders as well, right? Uh, in our PCA, there's there's ruling elders and teaching elders, but um, elders should be seen up there leading in prayer. And there could be other people too in different kinds of contexts. And, you know, when Kevin uh, DeYoung came on, that was something he wanted to kind of ramp up in our services. And uh, I think there was even a time when he or, yeah, probably he just, he gave some instruction in that. Um, so yeah, there could be other people who do that as well. And it's a good opportunity for some mentoring. Wow. 
Well, thanks very much for helping us, uh, us low church evangelicals, to uh, to get a little bit better um, at this. Um, I, I I love I love this opportunity that I personally get to to speak to um, to speak to and learn from uh, the broader uh, body of of Christ. And and thank you so much for not just the book, but making your yourself available for this conversation. I benefit from it. I, I hope that others do as well. I assume they will. I hope so. Well, Pat, I think it would be totally appropriate. In fact, it would be weird if I didn't um, ask you to pray uh, at, at the end of this. So could you yeah, pray for the, the, the leaders, uh, the, the teachers and, and preachers that have heard this and maybe wondering how to, to implement some of these things? I would love to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for Mike and I thank you for this podcast, Expositors Collective. What a great opportunity to talk about preaching especially and how how vital that is, Lord. We know that the first and most important thing we do as Christians is worship you. Everything flows out of that, worship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we want to do that right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We, we adore you. We thank you for uh, the beauty of creation. We thank you for the, the magnificence of your redemption through Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who, who regularly, daily, in hidden, wonderful, secret ways is applying the gospel to us. And Lord, we thank you for those you, whom you have set apart to lead your people uh, in worship as, as teachers and preachers and shepherds. Uh, Lord, it's a wonderful, uh, glorious, sometimes messy and very weighty responsibility. So we pray for all pastors and preachers and worship leaders and others who assist in worship services. We pray that daily they would be refreshed by your word and your spirit, that uh, as they dig into your word and and pray that the Holy Spirit would be revealing and illuminating and animating their hearts. Uh, we pray that they would be eager to lead God's people in worship every Sunday or any other time as well. And we pray that you would give them um, the spiritual gifts and wisdom and any other resources. And if my book could be of any small help, Lord, that I, I would pray that that would be true, that it would be a help to the church. We pray that you would protect these, um, these, pre these people who are, who are leading your church. Um, the enemy is often after them in very real ways. Uh, and we pray that you would continue to gift them with power uh, to proclaim Christ and the gospel and all the implications and all the applications. And I pray for Mike, Lord, that you would bless this podcast, that it would continue to go out and encourage and instruct. And, and I pray that people would, would hear the things on this podcast and say, yeah, I want to do that. And I could do that. I can do that. And that they would continue to grow. Your church church would continue to be blessed. We pray all these things, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for not just talking to us about prayer, but Pat, thank you for praying for us. Okay, I got to say, I really hope that you are subscribed to this podcast. You know, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, we also have a YouTube channel. Make sure that you're, that you're subscribed 
so that the next episodes automatically come into your inbox or to your device. Uh, you definitely want to because next week there's a great conversation with Dominic Doan. Uh, we speak about faith and deconstruction and what preachers can and can't do uh, in order to bolster the faith of those that are struggling. And the week after that, it's Sam Albury. And the week after that, it's Nick Cady. So we've got some great stuff coming up. You want to make sure that you're subscribed so it automatically is delivered to your inbox or to your device. Another invitation that I want to give to you is that we have a fairly active online community. So you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. And there's a group of us who discuss the latest episode, um, who also just ask for commentary recommendations, who encourage one another throughout the week in the task that God's called us to, to study his word and proclaim it. So you're invited A, to subscribe, B, to join our Facebook community, and also once more, you're going to be invited to our training weekend taking place very soon in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hi, this is Pastor Al Pittman. want to invite you to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend at Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel here in Colorado Springs. It's on September the 17th to the 18th. Look forward to seeing you there. Hope you make plans to join us. If you want more information, go to expositorscollective.com. That's expositorscollective.com. God bless you.